Let us begin by preparing our hearts in prayer. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own goodness, but in your all-embracing love and mercy. We are not worthy even to gather up the crumbs under your table, but it is your nature always to have mercy. So feed us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, that we may forever live in him and he in us. Amen. Ask them to have another one. We did again, okay? See
beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we propose to celebrate today, with the help of God, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We come to the table to commune with our Lord. We come in awe and reverence, for the place where we stand is holy ground. Here, the Lord offers us the manna of life. If we are to experience this celebration with our Lord and be nourished by the Spirit, let us examine ourselves first, then eat the bread and drink from the cup. The benefit is great if with penitent hearts and living faith we receive the Lord's Supper. Let us acknowledge our sin before our merciful God with full intention of amending our lives. Let us make restitution for all injuries and wrongs done to others. Let us forgive those who have offended us as we ourselves have been forgiven. All children of the covenant be reconciled with one another and then come joyfully to the banquet so that you may experience assurance of God's pardon and strengthening of your faith. Let us join in the prayer for renewal. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not testify falsely against your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us enter into prayer. Lift up your hearts. Guide us, O Lord, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. The first lesson is the word of the Lord from Deuteronomy. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 2, and then 6 to 9. So now, Israel, give heed to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you to observe, so that you may live to enter and occupy the land of the Lord, the God of your ancestors is giving you. You must neither add anything to what I command you, nor take away anything from it, but keep the commandments of the Lord your God. You must observe them diligently, for this will show your wisdom and discernment to the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. For what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other great nation has statutes and ordinances as just as this entire law and I am setting before you today? But take care and watch yourselves closely, so as neither to forget the things that your eyes have seen, nor to let them slip from your mind. All the days of your life, make them known to your children and your children's children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second lesson is the gospel of Jesus Christ according to James, chapter 1, verses 17 to 27. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of fresh fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves 
of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word, and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves, and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If anything, they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts. Their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Not according to Martin Luther. Luther is well known for calling James an epistle of straw. He wanted to remove it from the New Testament altogether. He found Paul's message of justification by grace alone through faith to be directly contradicted by James 2.24, which says that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Does scripture contradict itself? Do we have to take sides with either the Apostle Paul or with James? The patristic writers noticed this difference long before Luther, but they did not see it as a contradiction. And in our Reformed tradition, we gladly accept both the epistles of Paul and the epistle of James to be inspired scripture. We embrace Paul's message that God does not forgive us because we do good works. No, God meets us in the midst of our sin and our brokenness and forgives us so that we might become good. God's grace is unconditional and received in an astounded faith at such an undeserved gift, not as a reward that we've earned by our good deeds. Grace would be cheap if it were nothing more than a ticket to heaven, nothing more than a comforting assurance that we won't be punished when we die. Grace has a purpose, and that purpose is reconciliation with God and with one another, starting now. When you have faith that God loves you and forgives you and accepts you, everything has to change. This is the message of James, that God's grace transforms us into new people called to live in a new way. Do you remember 
looking into the mirror this morning as you got ready for church? Can you recall exactly how you looked in every detail? The way that your hair was sitting and where all the spots and freckles are in the exact shade of your eyes? Unless you were gazing intently, it's probably hard to remember. James uses an interesting metaphor in the passage that we read today. He says that those who hear the word but don't do it are like those who look in a mirror and then immediately forget what they looked like. My friends, the mirror of the word contains a magnificent spiritual vision for who we are. Look into the mirror of the word and see yourself as a person created and loved by God. See the gravity of your sins and the ways that you have harmed yourself and others and see that you are forgiven, made clean and pure by the blood of Jesus. See that you are a new creation, freed to obey the law of love, freed to relate to other people as your brothers and your sisters. See the calling that God has placed upon your life to turn from wickedness, to bridle your tongues, and to listen more than you speak, to put aside anger for compassion. We hear this vision of the gospel every Sunday. It's as commonplace as looking into a mirror. But if you walk out of these doors and immediately forget what you have heard, then what good is your religion? What good is the knowledge of God's grace if it makes no difference to the way that we live? It's easy to consume the gospel and then forget it. But true religion demands us to answer the questions. Do you believe what you have heard? And if you do, then how does it change the way that you live? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. According to James, you cannot be both friends with the evil ways of the world and friends with God. Their visions for human life are at odds. The world teaches that we are isolated individuals who must look out for our own self-interest. It teaches that suffering is unredemptive and that joy only comes from the pleasure of consumption. The friend of God, however, understands that life is essentially communal. Because God is the center of reality and God gives graciously and abundantly, there is enough for everyone. We need not live for ourselves, fighting for our own self-interest, because we can trust that God will provide for our needs. 
And this trust frees us to live for others, to give generously, to be grateful and compassionate rather than selfish and angry. Suffering can be endured with patience because we know that God has the power to use it for redemptive ends. Joy is rooted in human love and mutual self-giving. What is Christian community but a ragtag group of people bound together by their faith in Jesus Christ, committed to loving one another and giving special attention to the widows and the orphans, the people who the world looks down upon but who we embrace in love, the addict, the foreigner, the mentally ill, the single mother. Last month, I saw what Christian community looks like while staying at a house in Newark that was built by a reformed church for homeless youth with mental health needs. Two of the tenants there volunteered to join me in visiting a young man named Samson, who was being held at Delaney Hall for entering the United States from Ghana with a false passport. He had escaped to the U.S. after his community attempted to kill him when they found out that he was gay. He showed us a long scar running down his forearm where his stepfather had cut him with a knife. He admitted that he had no friends or relatives in the U.S., no money, little education, and no work history. While he didn't want to be imprisoned, he was afraid to leave the detention center because he had no place else to go. One of the tenants who was with me, Ananda, was known for being very loud and talkative and a partier. But when she saw this young man facing the sort of homelessness that she had feared, her heart was filled with compassion. She listened to his story, gently asking questions and giving him a big hug at the end of our meeting and a promise of continued support. This young woman, who had significant problems of her own, found a spare bed for Samson at the Covenant House of New Jersey. Samson was given peace of mind that in the midst of building his life from scratch in a new country, he would have a place to sleep. We all have our own demons and our own problems, but this is what Christian love looks like to put aside our selfish interests and to give of ourselves to the downtrodden. Acts of selfless love are as simple as making a visit to someone in prison or making phone calls to shelters asking about empty beds. Your act of love could be standing in a protest against unjust labor practices or cooking food for new parents or paying for someone's drug rehab, or singing songs in a nursing home. But to be doers of the word of God, and not merely hearers, doesn't mean fulfilling a checklist of service projects. 
Okay, I clothed a naked person, visited someone in prison, fed someone who was hungry. I suppose I'm qualified for heaven now. No. (laughs) When you remember the word and let Christ dwell in you, you become a new person who shines the love of God with every single breath that you breathe. When you leave these doors nourished by the Lord's Supper, remember that that grace is for a purpose. It is for you to live as a new creation, reconciled with God and with one another, and free to pour out your life in love. When confronted with the challenge of James, will you dismiss him as an epistle of straw? Or will you dare to answer? Do you believe what you have heard? And if you do, then how does it change the way that you will live? Amen. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts encourage us to follow your way, O Lord, into fruitful kingdom living, to the glory of your grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us stand and recite our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.
Jesus Christ. The Holy Supper, which we are about to celebrate, is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. We come in remembrance that our Lord Jesus Christ was sent of the Father into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law, even to the bitter and shameful death of the cross. By his death, resurrection, and ascension, he established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation that we might be accepted of God and never be forsaken by him. We come to have communion with this same Christ who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. In the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto life eternal. In the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. We come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and foretaste of the feast of love of which we shall partake when his kingdom has fully come, when with unveiled face we shall behold him, made like unto him in his glory. Since by his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ has obtained for us the life-giving spirit who unites us all in one body, so we are to receive this supper in true love, mindful of the communion of saints. Let us stand and sing of this unity.
baptized into Christ and who confess Jesus Christ as Lord are welcome at this table. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for all is now ready. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Holy and right it is, and our joyful duty to give thanks to you at all times and in all places, O Lord our Creator, almighty and everlasting God. You created heaven with all its hosts and the earth with all its plenty. You have given us life and being and preserve us by your providence. But you have shown us the fullness of your love in sending into the world your Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ and his opening up to us your kingdom purpose through words and works of wonder. With your whole church on earth and with all the company of heaven, we worship and adore your glorious name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Most righteous God, we remember in this supper the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. In the joy of his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices. Together we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Grant that being joined together in him, we may attain to the unity of the faith and grow up in all things into Christ our Lord. And as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf, and these grapes from many hills into one cup. Grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. On the night on which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also, he took the cup after they had supped. Brothers and sisters, since the Lord has now fed us at his table, 
Let us praise God's holy name with heartfelt thanksgiving. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, and will also give us all things with him. Therefore shall my mouth and heart show forth the praise of the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Amen. Let us continue in prayer. We praise and thank you, O Lord, that you have fed us at your table. May the spiritual nourishment of your supper empower us to go out into the world as doers of your will. God, we pray for those who you have called us to care for, remembering before you the poor and the afflicted, the sick and the dying, prisoners and all who are lonely, victims of war, injustice, and inhumanity, and all others who suffer. Lord, we pray for our country, even in the midst of tumult and disunity. Inspire the hearts and minds of our leaders that they may first seek your kingdom and righteousness so that order, liberty, and peace may dwell with your people. We pray especially for all children and young people returning to school that they would have a desire to learn and to excel. We also pray for teachers, Lord, that you would fill their hearts with love and patience for their students. We pray for your church, Lord Jesus, that she would obey your law and inspire people to the ends of the earth with the strength of her witness. Keep our hearts and thoughts in Jesus Christ, your Son, who has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from 